Clinton is the site of one of the highest profile organized crime and RICO related cases in the nation, that being the uh, internationally renowned musician known as Young Thug, real name Jeffrey Williams. Mm -hmm. Earlier uh, in November, after almost 10 months, believe it or not, 10 months of jury selection and the screening process, a jury of 12 jurors and six alternates were finally seated. And opening statements are set to begin on June, on November 27th, I should say. And we are joined on this edition of Atlanta News First and Atlanta News First Investigates Behind the Investigation by a man known as the Jury Whisperer. He is Mark Calzaretta. He is a uh, jury consultant and founding partner of Magna Leading or Magna Legal Services, if I can say it properly. I got your name right. I didn't get the name of the company right. I'm That's sorry. right. But how how do you become a jury whisperer? Fox News, I believe, don't use that that very colorful title. How did that come about? Um. So it wasn't my it wasn't my idea uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, so I like to try to stay under the radar a, a little bit more. And I think any jury consultant, um, you know, you you kind of want to meld into the courtroom. You don't want to sort of be out there. So, uh, but but um, I certainly am happy uh, 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 that people think of me in that regard that they'll call me that. Um, and uh, so. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you know I, I fell into this. That's essentially if you're asking how I got involved in this. But, you know, I've been I've been uh, a jury consultant or trial consultant since the mid 90s. Um, and back then it was in its infancy, jury research, jury consulting, things like that came out of market research. It's a little history on it. And and um, you could you could go to school for it. Now there's Ph.D. programs for it. And things like that, and um, and I just happened to go to school for psychology. Was trying to like many other people who, you know, exit out of college with not a great plan, uh, <laughs> kind of fell into it, um, and happened to really enjoy it, still enjoy it, and love it to this day. Um, and uh, you know, back in two thousand seven, I founded Magna um, to kind of really specialize in um, in the type of research that we do, which is a little unique. Um, in the sense of um, we've been very lucky to have our clients to engage in a very deep and meaningful level um, and in different ways very early on in litigation. So because a very broad perspective allows us to run uh, a ton of research to really, really dissect cases, dissect how, how people perceive things, how people uh, make decisions, uh, all this related to obviously in, in the courtroom and in, in trials and cases. Um, so, um, so, you know, I've just been kind of blessed to be totally honest with you. Um, and, uh, and I've been lucky that, that I found something that I love to do that I'm also happen to be okay at. So, uh, it's, it's a win-win. <laughs> so your firm does mock trials, jury mm -hmm. consultation, relating this to kind of a pop cultural field. In fact, is this the field that Dr. Phil McGraw began his career in. It is. In uh, fact. Went on to, to have a TV series for a few years mm -hmm. called on CBS, mm -hmm. which is our network. Is this the same kind of work that he uh, he began his career doing? Uh, correct. Correct. Yeah. He had a firm based out of Texas. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's the same exact type of work. 
that Dr. Phil uh, uh, did, and, and that's the type of work. Um, and it's it's evolved tremendously uh, over the years, um, and um, the approach, and just how how much we can really dial in what we know and and what we believe is going to be the outcome um, of a given piece of litigation and or a trial um, and what the likelihood is um, for what I would say is, is um, uh, to understand uh, what the risk, the associated risk is uh, with, with a given lawsuit or a piece of litigation uh, or case. Here in Atlanta, as I, as I said earlier, it has been the longest jury selection process in Georgia history, maybe one of the longest in the nation. It started in January and ended just in early November, kind of with a jolt because we uh, we fully expected on the day that a jury was finally seated on the court calendar, Judge Glanville was going to hear motions regarding the use of rap lyrics in the criminal trial. And then all of a sudden, he began sending a jury saying he was ready to get this trial started. Why did it take so long to select a jury for this trial? It's obviously an incredibly complex trial. Um, You know, this is this is pretty unusual. I mean, you're, you kind of hit on it. Um, typically, I mean, there's been long trials. There's been RICO trials. You know, I mean, I'm from, my name's Calzaretta. I'm Italian. I'm from New Jersey. So, um, you know, pretty familiar with RICO trials up here uh, in New Jersey, New York, and what have you. And some of the most famous ones, right? They've made movies about them. Um, um, and you got Gotti and whatever else, you know. And, and um, in fact, my wife was watching the Netflix series just the other night when I came home from from a trial. I said, I can't get away from trials here, even in my own house. Um, so, um, but, you know, it, it can take a long time. When you have a complex case and you have um, complexities that um, certainly here when you have a, a, a recognized, a famous figure, right? Um, and and you add that into the mix and then you add into the, obviously this is Rico and there's, you know, you have all of the gang related issues that are, that are in float um, in play here. Um, you know, that process can take a, just take a long time because as they're weaning through people, I mean, some of the other famous trials from other Rico trials, I mean, just to get people on the jury, people were fearful to be on the jury. Right. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that people had expressed that necessarily here or have something to fear. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I'm suggesting is when you get into Rico, get into gangs, you get into organized crime, people show up, you know, um, you're getting, you know, depends, but it's five dollars and a sandwich for the day for showing up for jury selection. It's a civil duty. It's it's a great experience. But also people have their own lives. Um, they, they have things that they that they worry about, concerns they uh, you know, they go through that, what they call that hardship process, right? Which the hardship process can take an, an inordinate amount of time. Um, you know, I've been on trials that were going to last seven months and it took us, you know, a long time, a month to pick a jury on a case that no one would know about just because of, you know, hey, this is going to be a long time. It's going to take a lot of your, um, it's going to take a, a lot of your personal time. Um, and then you layer in 
the RICO aspect, organized crime, those types of things and people, you know, uh, for hardship reasons. And then you move on to like for cause, which is like if either side thinks that they're inappropriate um, to sit on this jury or not appropriate. I don't mean that the people are inappropriate or act inappropriately, but based on their backgrounds, you know, people use things like bias as a bad word um, in a in, in a jury selection process. Bias is not bad. Um, I can use like an example like this, like, for example, if you're um, if the Yankees are playing the Red Sox, I don't know, or the Mets are playing the Braves. Let's go with something a little more hometown for you, for you. Um, you know, if you're a Braves fan, you don't want the number one Yankees fan uh, being the umpire of that game. Right. It's just right. That's bias. OK, now that doesn't mean that that same umpire who's a, a Met, I'm sorry, a Mets fan uh, is a Mets fan at the Braves game. Right. Can't go and call like another game like for the Mariners or something like that. Right. It doesn't doesn't care as much. So when we talk about bias, like it's those types of things, that's when you move people for cause. Right. Like they believe that there's an inherent bias that makes them predisposed or predetermined um, for uh, feeling one way or another. So understanding that when you have a RICO case, you have, then you layer in someone who's famous, you have the local ties um, to Atlanta and so on and so forth, um, and the culture there and, and uh, the community and so on and so forth. It's still surprising that it takes that long, but I mean, it can take a long time. And then, you know, people might not be comfortable and you move into individualized raw deer, for example, where they may they're, they're interviewing people or questionnaires and you start laying all of a sudden. It's just, it just can take a long time. This is unusual. What you said a moment ago was fascinating because you mentioned the word bias and how when you're selecting a jury, maybe that's not a bad, a bad thing. When we were live streaming the actual jury seating process, there was a lot of dead air. We had cameras just focusing on individual attorneys who were striking jurors from from their notes and everything. And we think about an impartial jury, but attorneys and prosecutors really don't want an impartial jury. Don't they want a panel selected of jurors who they think are going to be more favorable to their case? as opposed to straight impartiality or neutrality. Is that correct? Um, I think that the term impartial, you know, they, what they what they what they don't want, they want someone that's going to be more in their favor. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You want people that are going to uh, see things from your lens, right? That are going to view things the way that you want them to view things that are favorable for you to win. The, outcome, the goal here is to win. Um, right. And uh, but, you know, what you don't want is you don't want impropriety, obviously, like somebody on that jury. No, no, pro no lawyer wants to have someone on there that shouldn't be on there. That's going to cause a mistrial somewhere along the way or could. Right. So there's a there's like a, there's a fine line. There. There's a tipping point there. Um, but certainly you want someone that's uh, that's favorable. You want to pick people and that gets in the profiling, which is we do. We do that often. You know, you create as a jury consultant, you're creating a profile. Um, generally, though, it's a deselection process. So when you talk about impartiality, um, what we're what you're more concerned with as a lawyer or jury consultant or what have you, when you're pick, when you're you know this this whole notion of selecting a jury, you are not selecting it. You are deselecting the jurors, um, and so that's uh, you know just sort of a twist, a play on the word, but it's 
it's it's it's really what you're doing. What you want to do is get the people off that are the that are not good for your case, right? Um, and in that sense, that's where they get to the impartiality. So if you take people that are on the extremes, one side or the other, to be honest, you know, just to be frank, like you you can tell those people generally both sides can. They can tell the people that are really great for them and the people that are really awful for them. Um, it's the people in the on the margins, like in between. That is, that's where the magic and that's where the, the art really comes into there is because it's the people that you're not exactly that don't present themselves in a way or have something that's so obvious that, you know, um, you know, that's bad. Like, for example, somebody, I don't, somebody said that they were in a gang. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, like, obviously you don't want somebody on, on there, you know, they're not on there anymore, but probably one person would say, Hey, that would make them be a little more, you know, have, and um, uh, be a little bit maybe towards the defense side. Let's just say if they had that in their background or understand more of the criminal organization because they had that in their past, right? Um, it's those types of things. I, that's obvious, right? That's really obvious. It's the other stuff and the nuances in sort of in the middle there that you're trying to figure out which way are those people going to go. And as they swing more towards the middle, it gets harder and harder because then it's like, well, where does this person go? Which side, you know? And so that's where you have data. That's where you have uh, backgrounds, research. Um, you you know, there's a plethora of public information that you can pull on people that you can't ask questions in the courtroom and that kind of a thing that you, you really, with social media, you can have a real good presence uh, and understanding of, of the people without having to poke and prod around sensitive areas. But in a case like this, you know, the voir dire um, has got to get into these issues. So. When you are deselecting a jury, mm -hmm. okay, which is what we're talking about, rather than than selecting, but when you're deselecting and you're you have your final panel of ten and six alternates or whatever, can you predict how a juror on a panel will act during the course of a trial? Judge Earl Glanville has been very strict and very diligent in handing down um, contempt of court uh, orders against potential jurors who didn't follow his instructions, who posted on social media and did inappropriate things. And we heard his admonitions to the jury to the final panel before he dismissed them until November 27th when opening statements are, are set to begin. Do you have an idea or can you predict if a juror is going to cause problems and then all of a sudden you have a mistrial? Can you predict that? Uh, I don't know if you can really predict like every little bit of human tendency or behavior or, or things of that nature, especially when it comes to like if they're going to violate uh, the court rules. Um you certainly could have a better idea based on their social media profiles and that the background research that I was just talking about that is, by the way, totally ethical and it's all public information and you readily pull it on on the on the prospective jurors. Um, but I don't know that you could really predict that. Now, I will say that there have been plenty of times where I've been in a jury selection um, and I've had a you know a lawyer, a client. Um, it turned to me and say, we got to get rid of this person and I'd sell them, leave them. And, but they're like, they're terrible for us. I'm like, agreed. They're, they're not good for us. Is it, but they're not making it through the trial. They're going to do something strange in court and they're going to get bounced off the jury. 
and we need to save our strike for someone else over here. Uh, that person's not going to. Um, and one of the most interesting um, anecdotal stories that I have from jury selection is in New York. Um, in fact, that was a situation. Um, and on the first day after opening statements, the individual went up and hugged the plaintiff in the case and said, I am so sorry. I totally, I'm totally on your side in front of the judge and everybody else and got bounced on the first day. They looked at me and that, and I guess that could be where this jury whisperer type thing starts coming from, but it's like those type of anecdotal stories. Um, and um, now I, I'm not that good. I couldn't have predicted on the, basically on the openings right after the openings, they, the person would be out, but it just, they had uh, social cue issues that were pretty, uh, evident that I didn't think that they would be able to control themselves throughout, you know, a four week trial in the courtroom. Um, and so eventually they would have to be dis dis uh, excused and there's always alternates. So I don't know that you can predict it, but based on you, you certainly can have your hunches um, and, and things like that um, related to your question. So. This is obviously a high profile trial. It has to do with uh, hip hop music rap music, whichever term you like to apply. There are going to be some very high profile witnesses that are going to be called. There's going to be some uh, testimony. We've already seen one of the co-defendants the day after a jury was seated uh, reached a plea deal. There may be more. What are some of the stresses that jurors are going to feel over the course of a trial that's probably going to last the better part of 2024. Judge Glanville has already said, stay off social media. Don't talk about this trial with anyone. This is your primary job for the next how many ever months. Well, that, that's got to put a lot of stress. It's a big ask. It's got to be just enormous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a big ask. This is not your typical, you know, we already discussed, you know, the, the sh and everybody's a little different, right? People deal with stress differently. People perceive things differently. They have different um, levels of of like sort of acceptable levels, and and certainly react different different ways. Um, but you know, this is obviously deals with some serious serious um, issues. Um, you know, if you're talking about gangs and things like that, you're talking about violence and things like that, like things that certainly I think are have the potential to be scary for, for folks. Um, then you layer in the personal impact that this will have just the time, forget about what the subject matter is. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a year of your life that you're showing up and you're putting everything on pause. Um, and then all of the other things like the social media things, right? Um, it's, it's a big ask because, you know, what if it's like, they have, they have grandkids, friends, family, they communicate. So you're asking people to, you know, and, and depending upon for certain people, I mean, you go back to even COVID, if you think about that as an example, how people were struggling going from being social to like being locked in, like sort of locked in, you know, here being, they're not quite sequestered, but, you know, if something starts to go off the rails, there's, you know, right, that, that you've seen people, jurors that were sequestered before. I mean, the OJ trial, right? They they were completely sequestered. Um, there's been other trials. It's rare, but they'll they'll do that if they need to. Uh, but that was also a different time. You didn't have social media. So I think the anxiety levels for, for people will be high. Uh, I think it'll, it'll, just like anything else, it'll ebb and flow. 
uh, depending upon what's going on. Jurors generally forget about whatever case it is. Um, you know, what frustrates jurors and from what we do is a lot of times you're allowed to do in many jurisdictions um, post-juror interviews after a trial. So you can actually interview the jurors and ask them questions. Sure. In your line of work, you've seen where like, you know, on different shows where after big trials, they get the jurors together and they interview them as to why you, know, you see it on those like 48 hours or ID discovery, you know, like all those kind of so shows about, you know, those types of things, a lot of different criminal trials. Um, but, um, you know, it's it just it's it's an it's an interesting thing what they're what they're going to have to go through over the next whatever dozens of months and what the, what's being asked of them. Um, and, um, you know, they're 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 it's it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot for for these jurors. There's no doubt about it. So is it even feasible in today's environment to sequester a jury? Is that even possible anymore? Yeah, it's possible. And I take we go back, I realize I probably didn't complete the thought, you know, after we interview jurors, the thing that frustrates them is wasting their time during the trial. That is the number one thing. So if this thing can get done in four months and it drags out to 12, you know, people's anxiety tolerance for all this stuff is going to go back to complete the thought. Um, and sorry, what was the, what was, can you sequester them, right? Impossible, um, even feasible with social media, cell phones, Wi-Fi. It's not even feasible anymore. I mean, it's feasible. It's just more difficult than it ever has been before, right? Um, I mean, look, before, you know, if a juror was, if, if a jury, if a juror was, you know, going to walk in and out of the courtroom and, and you're in Atlanta or New York or wherever, just a metropolitan city, and you walk by a one of the little newsstands and all the newspapers are out there and, you know, and you, you can't even look at the at the because because maybe the, the case is on the front front page, right? But that you could try to avoid. Um, here, there's so much with our cell phones and just everything that pops up and ads and things like that. Just even if you're not trying to look at something, you never know what's going to pop up right on your feed. So um, it's just much more challenging. Can it be done? Yes, they can be sequestered. Um, it's just more it's just more challenging because the world we live in with the technology and all of the information overload that we have um, these days. It's just it's it's more difficult. Mark, this has been a fascinating conversation. Mark Calzaretta, founding partner of Magna Legal Services. Uh, you do mock trials during consultation. We're finalizing wrapping up this podcast and the special edition a podcast on Atlanta News First regarding the upcoming RICO organized crime trial of one of American music's most celebrated artists, that being Young Thug, a multi-time Grammy Award winner, multi-time American Music Award winner. Final thoughts, what are some of the, the aspects of the jury trial that we should be looking out for in the coming months, not necessarily legal strategies, but just in terms of the jury itself. What are some things we need to be watching for? So I think the, you know, openings are critically important to cases. Openings set the tone. And there are, there's a lot of studies out there that say 80% uh, or 80% of jurors, the way that they exit the opening. So their verdict orientation, so which side they're leaning towards more, 80% of them decide that after openings and it sticks. So 
to watch the openings and to watch the jurors' potential reactions to the openings, um, I think is, is critical. Openings are, are really, really important. Um, and then witnesses, how the jurors, like what is the testimony? Um, are jurors, like what are the jurors' body language? Are the jurors leaning up and paying attention? Uh, are they taking notes um, for, for particular witnesses and not for others? Um, do when one side gets up one lawyer, do they tend to peak, uh, perk up a little and pay more attention? Um, maybe they don't for others. So you'll start, and, and that might not be in the beginning, but as this long process goes on, um, those are the things to kind of look out for. Um, and then these potential improprieties, let's just say that something happens with a juror. Um, they'll have alternates and things like that. They always, you always have alternates on juries just in case something, you know, someone could get sick, something can happen. doesn't always have to be something that they do wrong, right? Somebody could have a, a medical emergency, God forbid, um, and they need to be excused or from the jury. So, but those are be some of the things that, you know, look, look out for. This is going to be, this is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, that's the other part is that's what this is going to be. Um, there's going to be days where it's like, you know, it's like watching paint dry, I'm sure, you know, like it's the, there's going to be other days where it's going to be like, you know, fireworks um, and, you know, and, and it's just, it's going to be a long process. That's. Those are all the things that we're going to be continuing to focus here on Atlanta News First and AtlantaNewsFirst.com. We will be broadcasting the trial on our YouTube stream and on our live stream on AtlantaNewsFirst.com. Thanks to Mark Calzaran, a founding partner of Magna Legal Services. Stay with us for all of the latest developments in the historic organized crime trial of Jeffrey Williams, a.k.a. Young Thug, right here on Atlanta News First. <laughs>